Well, it's great to be back at Church for the Highlands, and I understand you had a, a pretty good substitute uh, last week. In fact, I had quite a few emails. I think all of you emailed me and said, uh, can she come back this Sunday? So uh, I, I think I told her we could probably work that out. Uh, but I want to thank Jenny for uh, preaching uh, in my stead last week. We had a, a good time. Just uh, I don't get to see my brother a whole lot. He lives in Austin, and as you know, there's no easy way to get to Austin from here. Um, and uh, we just he's busy, I'm busy, and um, but we were able to get together with my father and with Jack, kind of a, a guy's weekend out, and had a, had a good time watching the Texas Longhorns play and, and win last week. But uh, I, I had a, a strange thing happen to me this morning. When I got up, I had already finished my sermon. I was working on it and uh, looked on my computer, and it was not the same sermon. Uh, the, the great pleasures and wonders of technology and doing sermons in, in the cloud or the iCloud uh, is not all that it is worked up to be. So uh, I don't know what this is going to sound like this morning. I tried to remember as best I could and uh, spent more, try, more time searching to find out how to find an archived uh, iCloud text, but apparently there is no way. So it could be really short or really long. One of the, the worst nightmares a parent can face is to find out that their child has been kidnapped. And it seems like there have been a lot of these kidnappings going on here lately, at least the, the ones that are more notable and have, have uh, received national attention. Imagine having this happen at the hospital, though, just after your baby is born. That's what happened to the parents of Paul Joseph Franzik in 1964. He was abducted by a woman who was posing as a nurse, came in to help out and to take the baby into the, uh, the unit nearby, and ended up taking the baby far, far away. It wasn't until two years later that police were able to close the case and bring what they believed to be their baby, the Franzak's baby, back home. Imagine, two years of wondering what happened to your child. He was found, abandoned in a stroller somewhere in New Jersey. The police, as they found him, were able to identify him as the Franzak's son. And the way they were able to do this was based on the age. He was two years old. And they were able to do it based on his ears, the likeness of his ears, and determining somehow that this was their son. So Franzak had been returned, safe and sound, back where he belonged. Imagine the feeling of knowing who you are, even as a two-year-old, who you are, and whose you are, and just getting past the trauma of being abandoned like that. All of this changed, though, as the case was recently reopened. I mean, just recently as of just this past summer. For whatever reason, Franzak decided to have a DNA test done, discovering after half a century that he was not the couple's baby who had been abducted. He was not who he thought he was. He was not whose he thought he was. And now he must learn from his DNA whose child he really is. And so the story continues. And CNN has done uh, a few shows about this, and they're trying to help him identify and find out 
who it is that he belongs to. Can you imagine being like that? What a tragedy to live in confusion about your identity. Yet what a blessing to have an opportunity to discover, based on the characteristics of the most basic building blocks of your existence, who it is that you really are. In our text today, in the scripture that you just heard, Jesus is in a conversation with this group called the Sadducees. They are a religious group within Jesus' own religion. And we don't talk about them much. They don't seem to pop up much in, in my sermons or in our scripture readings here in the service. But they are a very prominent group within Judaism, within this setting and this uh, context that, that Jesus is living in. And this conversation provided them And these words of Jesus provided them with characteristics of who they really were or who they really could be as children of God. It seems like Jesus continues to have these run-ins with all of these groups within His own religion about who they really were. They continued to miss the point of who God had created them to be and to live in their world. And so, in an episode where they're trying to stump and ridicule Him for His beliefs, He provides them with an understanding about who they are as children of God by pointing to their ancestors. He talks about Moses. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Isaac and all of these other forefathers of theirs. Pointing to them to say, okay, you know the story. And let me tell you some more things about them because that is your spiritual DNA. But he points to God, the ultimate source of their life. And he wanted them to understand the reality of resurrection, of what it meant to be children of the resurrection. And just as they needed to hear it in their own time, we need to hear it. We need to come to an understanding of the characteristics of who we are as children of the resurrection. And the first one of those that we have as children of the resurrection is that we have a God of life, not of death. That's what Jesus said to the Sadducees after successfully walking around the trap that they had set for him. And they, unlike the Pharisees that we usually hear about more in the Gospels, they did not believe in resurrection. In fact, uh, if you probably heard this from a Sunday school teacher or think I heard it constantly in, in seminary where you're trying to study all the different sects within Judaism at that time, and the way you could always tell the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees is the Sadducees are sad, you see. They don't believe in the resurrection. If that helps you, good. If, if it's stupid, then sorry. It helps me remember. But the Pharisees, they actually did believe in resurrection. So Jesus had a little bit more in common with the Pharisees than he did with the Sadducees. They just didn't believe that there was an afterlife. They didn't believe that that was within God's word uh, to them. And really they became fundamentalists in their own view. Unable to tolerate other people's views, especially about the resurrection. They believed that this life was all that there is. That there is no more. For them, God was more a God of the dead than a God of the living. They set out to mock Jesus for His belief in the resurrection, and they use the current religious laws about marriage and remarriage. And this is quite an interesting uh, question that they they pose to Jesus about 
What happens if you, when you get to this afterlife and you've had all these different wives, who is it that you're going to be married to? And it's quite uh, a conundrum. And so they're, they're really not wanting to find out the answer to that. It's not really about who gets to marry. It was more about pointing out to Jesus and everyone in the crowd how ridiculous it is to believe that something like that could even happen. That you could actually be resurrected from the dead. Jesus, though, he had no trouble handling the trap. And he used this as a, not a trap, but as an opportunity to get to the foundational truth of the resurrection. He concluded his comments with them saying, Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. And they understood that Moses had been dead a long time. Abraham dead a long time. Isaac had been uh, removed from the face of the earth for a long time. And yet they're still alive. Jesus spoke of them as being fully alive. And, and how God views them not as dead, but as living. And as, child of re- as children of resurrection, uh, we need to understand that we have a God of life, not of death. Jesus reveals to us a God who lives forever, one who is not bound by the confines of time, of age, or of death. With God, there is no beginning and there is no end. There is no real death, just real life. And Jesus would have us know that God wants us to live forever, a God whose creative powers and abilities are not restricted by death at all. What a great truth to know when you're confronted with the problems of life. How many of you have had a problem in this past week? If we're honest, we all have. Maybe the fact that you don't know you've had a problem is going to be a problem in this next week. It's a great truth to know when all you see around you is death. When things happen in our world and in our own individual lives that cause us to wonder at times if there is indeed a God of any kind. And I am sure that there are people in the Philippines this morning who are wondering, God, if you were real, why didn't you show up? Why didn't you help us? Why didn't you keep this storm from coming into our lives? Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe there wasn't a literal typhoon that hit your life, but there was a typhoon in every other manner. And you feel that. God invites us to lean in this morning, to hear the affirmation of Jesus that God is God of the living, not of the dead. This past week, we, or Wednesday night, we had a, a beautiful service of uh, recognizing uh, the saints, and we did our Baptist version of All Saints, and we put candles up on the table, and we lit a candle and said the names of people, our loved ones who had passed on and who have gone on ahead of us. And in that moment of lighting the candle and of, of saying their names, I think we all recognize that, that God is not a God of the dead, God is a God of the living, and the people that we recognized are not really dead They're alive. And that gives us hope and strength and help to move on. Another characteristic you have as a child of the resurrection is that your life cannot be defined or confined by death. Jesus challenged the Sadducees' way of life based on their ignorance 
about the resurrection. They measured themselves by this world and, and not the next. It was just about what they could accomplish in this world and not what was coming in the next. The question about marriage they posed to Jesus to consider, it provides a great example of their thinking and displayed their ignorance of resurrection. Especially in the Pentateuch, the books that Jesus knew they held so closely to, He takes that and reveals to them from those Scripture that God is not a God who is uh, just looking at humankind and seeing it waste away and never take life again. Their rejection of resurrection defined them as a group. People would say, well, there go the Sadducees, and you see they are sad because they don't believe. They, you know they said that. But their rejection of resurrection defined them. They were not able to live in the realization of the bliss and the joy ahead of them. Not able to enjoy the fullness of being children of God, of resurrection. I mean, even the Pharisees with their faces all squinched up, looked like they'd been eating lemons or something, as legalistic as they were, at least there was this idea of another world. There was another life that was to come. Jesus made it clear to them that life endures forever, that God does not view death with finality. And I like the way that the people's New Testament puts it. To God, no human being is dead or ever will be, but all sustain an abiding conscious relation to Him. No one really dies in the eyes of God. There is no stopping resurrected life. It is not restricted to a number of years, to social constructs like marriage. And some of you are thinking, good, that's great. Uh, I'm hoping that you know if I get out of this one, I won't get in another one. Those are the words of my father-in-law. It's not restricted by religious laws. It's not restricted by diseases or, or wars or any other hindrance. Not even a cross or a tomb could confine resurrected life. There is no sting, as Paul would tell us. With this kind of teaching from Jesus, it is really not accurate for us to have obituaries and to speak of people being dead, is it? I mean, is it really accurate to say that? We should call obituaries transition points, mile markers, or chapters. We should refer to our loved ones who have passed on as those who are living, not dead. Now I realize we are restricted by our language in many ways, and People may think you are a bit nuts or in deep denial for doing so. But wouldn't it be more correct to speak of them as alive and not dead? In what ways would your grief for the loss of a loved one be nurtured by the realization that she or he is not dead, but alive? And what about for you? What about for how you see yourself? Do you define your life by your death? Are you living as though this world is all there is? I can't imagine anything more depressing. What great strength and help we can find in understanding our eternal nature. What enables us to define ourselves by life and not death is the power that we have as children of resurrection. It is the power found, and it's this phrase in the Scripture. If you look again 
there in your Bible or in your bulletin. It is the, found, the power found in being children of the resurrection. It is in the act of living out our true identity and eternal life even now. I mean, it's not something you have to wait for. It's not something in the by and by. And, and, and yes, there is a role that is called up yonder. But, but in a sense, there's a role that's called here as well. And, and what God says to us is, who is alive now? Who is living out their resurrection in this world now? Because I can use them. I have great plans for them. It is in the living with the realization of how we become worthy of that place. And Jesus is making a distinction about, well, well the children of this age live this way, but the children who are worthy of that place. And, and what Jesus wanted all of them to understand is that they could be worthy of living in that place, that He Himself was the resurrection and the life. He, as He is moving, and as we track with Him through Luke's Gospel, He's moving to Jerusalem. He's moving to the cross. And that they could be worthy of that place by entering into the new life of Christ, by recognizing that God has already made us worthy through our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is, as Andrew Murray stated it, a dead Christ I must do everything for. A living Christ does everything for me. Through Him, the firstborn of resurrection, we become children by adoption into God's family. And the question is, have you allowed yourself to become a child of the resurrection? Have you allowed Jesus to become your Savior? Well, this second characteristic of being children of resurrection leads us right into the third, that we have no reason at all to be sad, you see. It can be said that the Sadducees were sad because they didn't believe that there was life beyond death. The Pharisees, whom Jesus is usually at odds with in these kinds of conversations, are, are that group. They, they didn't believe in it. And I think the reason He has so much to say to them is because though they do believe in re- the Pharisees believe in resurrection, they aren't living in its reality for them in this world. Many of them were just as sad as the Sadducees. And Jesus would tell them He was the resurrection and the life. The one in whom God sent into the world so that all could truly live. The Sadducees were not to that point, not even believing in it. They had missed the point about resurrected life. It was not bound by the same rules and patterns to this world, but it would be one that transcends them. Martin Luther once was so depressed over a prolonged period of time, and that's even with all the good beer that he drank, (laughs) that one day his wife, and his wife was quite a character, she came downstairs wearing all black. Martin Luther said, who died? And she said, God has. He said, God hasn't died. And she said, well, live like it and act like it, Martin. The words of Jesus here today say the same thing to us. Well, live like it. Act like it. Do you believe in the resurrection? Are you a child of the resurrection? then live like it. Act as though you believe it. When you realize the reality of being a child of resurrection, you see that you have no real reason to be sad. Everyone smile this morning. Just go ahead and give your best smile. I'm going to have to work on a few of you. I'm not seeing your teeth. 
We have no real reason to be sad. When the troubles of this life increase around you, when your order turns to chaos, when death comes knocking at your door, when the frustrations of your life are causing you to stumble, when sin is having its way with you, when it seems that injustice is winning out over justice, when your income doesn't meet your outcome, when the tears outnumber the laughs, when the darkness of death seems to smother out the light of life, remember that you are a child of the resurrection. That is your identity. The story I mentioned earlier about Paul Joseph Franzak is a sad one. As we think of what a struggle he has had to discover who he really is. I wonder though if we aren't that different than him. Don't we, like him and the Sadducees, struggle through our lives with a misunderstanding of who or whose we are? It was good to read that he is optimistic about answering those questions. And in a CNN interview, he stated, I believe that we will solve uh, these two tragic mysteries. I feel we are one step closer to solving this and one step closer to a happy ending. What Jesus provides us with here today is the good news that we don't have to search any longer for who we are. Our happy ending has already come in Jesus. Or we should really call it a happy beginning. For we are children of the resurrection. Let's pray. Our God of resurrection, we come to you as your children. And we come to you with a recognition that you have given us life. We thank you.